Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Last week, we learned that on July the 1st, roughly 1,100 Hamilton non-unionized salaried employees were going to be getting a raise. It was their second raise of the year. The first was for cost of living and it's complicated anyway, uh, means that 1,100 non-unionized workers, and it follows a, a protocol that is supposed to balance them with other cities, workers in cities our size, it follows a, a, a plan, but uh, we're going to get as much as 15% more this year. And while talking about that, got talking with a number of the councillors in this city, and, you know, the warning bells started to ring, that we are heading towards a tax increase for Hamilton residents next year that some are saying is going to be enormous relative to, relative to anything else we've had before. Enormous. Uh, my next guest says, I don't, I really don't see us being under 10 as in 10%. That is, uh, that's going to send some shivers down some people who already were stunned this year by 5.8%. Councillor John Paul Danko is a councillor of Ward 8 here in the city, joins me now. Councillor, thank you for this. Thanks for having me on. Uh, you know that when you say things like 10%, that some people are going to freeze in their spot or just like crumple to the ground. That's an enormous amount of money that we're talking about that people are possibly facing down the road. It is a, a huge amount, especially in today's economy when people are seeing just their household spending Uh, not go as far as it used to, whether you're talking about your grocery bill or your utilities or just the general cost of living. On top of that, if you're talking about a very significant property tax increase, um, that could mean hundreds of dollars a year for the average homeowner extra that, you know, they really don't have in their household budget. So it's not something that any of us want to see, but I think it's very important that going into this with our eyes wide open that we're honest with taxpayers of what we're facing in the next budget cycle. So, okay, I, and I think people appreciate your awareness and other councillors' awareness that this is a big amount of money. I mean, some people have accused councillors of having no concept. I, I don't necessarily believe that's the case, certainly not with most. But if we know that this is a huge amount and we know it's going to really sting some people, why are we still heading towards this big an increase? Well, some of it is in part due to provincial downloading. So we're looking at about a 2.8% to 3% uh, increase that's strictly because of downloading from the province when it comes to uh, development charges and uh, provisions of Bill 23. On top of that, we still have ongoing inflation, um, which is a little bit lower this year, so that's good news. But city contracts and just in general, things cost more money for cities just as they do a regular household. Um, staffing, uh, as you talked about off the top, is increasing as well. The, the amount that we're paying both our non-unionized staff and also our union contracts are due this year as well. Um, and then we have some really serious budget pressures, such as housing and homelessness, that last year alone saw a 30% increase from the previous year. So right now on everybody's tax bill, they're paying about 7%. That is only going towards housing and homelessness. And that is a pressure that is just continuing. So if you add all of those up, we're at about somewhere around 9% uh, in 2024 budget year before we even talk about the core city services like roads and parks and recreation, garbage collection and services like fire and police and paramedics. Um, So, you know, it's, it's just a combination of all those things going on right now that are, you know, as we're going into the next budget year, all come together to, to, you know, really make us concerned about where we're heading in terms of uh, taxation rate. So that being the case, and, and I'm glad that you explained that, but that being the case, should councillors, yourself included, but all of them, all 16 of you around the table, should there be a real consideration about bringing forward any more projects or any more plans? Because I, I haven't yet seen anything different. I haven't seen any move towards saying we can't do anything else right now because we've got all these things looming. It seems almost to be business as usual. I think you're absolutely right. And I think council is aware of that and we are making some progress on that. So council just passed our term of council priorities. And one of those priorities was to specifically to reduce the residential tax burden. And through that, uh, coming up with a a new budget process that 
combines the capital and rate budgets and, and operating into a way that's easier for residents to understand and easier for counselors to understand where there might be strategic opportunities and savings versus, you know, looking at things kind of a, a one-off. Um, so that, that is that is moving forward. The, it, in the discussions, the, the mayor talked about the role of uh, a gatekeeper to make sure that we stay on our strategic term of council priorities. And that is us as a council collectively, but also the mayor through her expanded uh, powers that she has uh, in the strong mayor system. And we hope also our constituents, which are certainly going to keep us, uh, you know, on track when it comes to budgeting. But there are still some things that were talked about a lot in the campaign that haven't come up yet. And I still expect that we're going to hear about them. We haven't heard yet um, about the area rating being gone, which would affect certain people and drive up their rates. We haven't heard yet anyone really seriously try and talk about the free transit, which we heard a number of councillors say they wanted to do. Is it not? Should I not expect that some of those things that people ran on are going to get brought up, or do you believe that those things now have been shelved for the time being? I, I think those are still, you know, part of the discussions. But I, I think when we're talking about, and what I saw, you know, this past uh, budget session was everybody putting together kind of their wish list of what they wanted to get out there, get done, and get into the budget as soon and as quickly as possible without any real long-term strategic planning on a number of the items. And that was really concerning for me. So I think moving forward, if we're strategic about the plans that we're putting forward, whether that is, uh, you know, transit uh, subsidies or if it's our climate change adaptation and mitigation, bike lanes, you know, kind of those things that are a little bit more sensitive politically, that we are are putting those forward with a true long-term strategic plan that we're investing. And this is the goal that we want to achieve at the end of the day. So it's not just, you know, putting a, 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 in a, a motion forward and then getting millions of dollars approved on the back of an envelope. But am I not correct though, that for example, you mentioned bike lanes and that's a great one to mention. Am I not correct that it's already been brought forward that the bike lane project that was going to take 25 or 30 years has been already compressed to three? That's the kind of thing you would think that if we went back to the original plan would cost us a lot less right now? It, it, I think it depends. So if we're talking about a brand new purpose-built multi-use pass, uh, you know, incorporating that into existing roadways, that can be quite expensive. If we're talking about making bike lanes a priority when it comes to uh, maintenance work that we're already doing, then they can be incorporated very effectively. So again, I think, you know, as long as we're strategic about the plans that we're bringing forward to make the city uh, the kind of place where we want to raise our kids and age successfully, it's being deliberate about how we're investing that taxpayer's mm. dollars. Last thing, we got to run. It, should there be significant discussions or serious discussions about cutting stuff? That it's just time that, you know, we have all these things we have to add. We have to now make some hard decisions and we just have to cut some things and live with it. I think that's a discussion that council does have every year. Um, and inevitably, you know, does it mean going to biweekly garbage collection or things like uh, not clearing our snow as frequently or, or not fixing our roads as frequently? As frequently. Those are difficult uh, discussions to have, but I, I think it is something that uh, we do consider uh, every budget cycle. But those are obviously different, difficult uh, discussions to have with re residents because inevitably it means cutting a service or something that does affect the residents in the, in the services that we deliver. John Paul Dank, a Ward 8 counselor. Always appreciate you coming on and talking about this. Thank you. Anytime. Thanks for having me. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Really interesting column in the Globe and Mail on the weekend or late last week. I'm not exactly sure which day it was, but that doesn't really matter. The The point was this. We are heading towards, not Im immediately, we've got a little while left, but, you know, we always follow this stuff. We're heading towards a federal election at some point. And right now, Pierre Polyev has a lead. The Conservatives have a lead. Who knows if that'll hold up. But if it does, the column raised the question, what if, based on the lead that he has in the polls, what if Pierre Polyev won but didn't win a majority? And the Liberals and the NDP decided they're going to continue to work together, which would then give them combined more seats than the Conservatives. And Justin Trudeau or whoever was the Liberal leader, or frankly, if it could, I guess, be the NDP leader potentially. But what if they then declared 
We together have more seats, therefore we are forming government. It would be legal, but what kind of issue, if any, would this create within our system? Kate Harrison is vice chair of Summit Strategy. She joins us now. Kate, how are you today? I'm not too bad, Scott. How are you? I am well, thank you. This this is a fascinating one because it's completely within the rules. It's completely legal within our parliamentary system. Mm. I just can't imagine how this is how this would play in on both sides if those two parties if this were to happen and those two parties were to do that yeah and and we don't have to look too far back into recent political history to see how even the prospect of that type of a coalition government was received by canadians and and how they uh, ended up voting as a result of that prospect so it was you know just in in 2008 where um the conservatives drummed up the possibility of a, a liberal and NDP coalition at that time, um, and it was uh, resoundingly rejected by by Canadians. You're right; the system we have does allow for it. Um, this was also tried in the 1920s, and something uh, any astute uh, political historians listening <laughs> would would refer to as the King Bing affair, or at least anybody who graduated grade ten uh, history. <laughs> so um, it, it it has been tried, but what has been the result of those attempts in the past, or even just the 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 rumors that this might happen? is that Canadians have said, no, that, that's not what we want, and that they voted uh, kind of accordingly. So it, it is a possibility. The thing that's different about this time, Scott, and the reason why I think there's a little bit more legitimacy to this particular claim or, or you know, the, the prospect of this is because of the supply and confidence agreement that currently exists with the Liberals and the, and the NDP. Effectively, they, if, the, if it holds for the duration, they will have governed for a majority mandate um, under this confidence agreement, they could go to the governor general and say, listen, re- we've just shown you that we are able to make parliament functional. The conservatives, despite having the most seats, uh, don't have a majority. And, and so we think that we can continue to govern. So that's what's different about this compared to the recent past. But I think a lot of Canadians, um, if the Liberals and NDP seat count goes down and the conservative seat count goes up, will be scratching their heads wondering why they have a coalition government when it's clear that's not what they wanted. That said, so, I mean, we're talking about how the, and we'll get to more about how the Conservatives and their voters might react to this, which I think would not be good. But on the other hand, if you've got more people who are voting for the NDP and Liberals combined, that probably means that more people would say, yeah, I didn't want the Conservatives in, so this is a really good idea. It's possible, but then, you know, the, the question back to that would be, okay, well, then why has Justin Trudeau kind of declined um, democratic reform, uh, as he promised to do when he first came to power in, in 2015. So, um, we, we have the, the first past the post system that, that we have. There's pros and cons to it. Uh, it can have a very long debate about, about that vice kind of other systems like proportional representation. But I think there's something to be said, Scott, about kind of putting the choice directly to Canadians about the kind of parliament that they want to see. Um, and so, you know, even though the system allows for kind of a, a coalition in, in practice, unless it's really clear to voters that that's what they are getting, um, you can understand that there'd be quite a bit of hesitancy there to to accept that. Um, so unless there's a, a broader conversation around uh, changing up how we form our government, which, again, Justin Trudeau opened the door to that conversation in 2015, and then he himself closed it uh, to a lot of displeasure from, from the NDP and even some of his Liberal colleagues, uh, but he chose to do that because it politically, for him, uh, was the more more convenient route. The PR system, I think, would have posed some problems to the Liberals that they, they didn't necessarily anticipate when making that promise. And so now they have the best of both worlds. They can continue to govern as though they have a majority with the, uh, the support of the NDP and they don't have to go through the hard work of actual uh, electoral reform. Again, I want to stress that this would be entirely legal, nothing illegal about it. It would be entirely within the rules. I do wonder, though... If this, if doing something like that, you know, while it may be very tempting because you could hold on to power and you, I'm sure the Liberals and NDP feel right now like they are making the country work really well. They're doing a terrific job, so we should keep going and people would be happy with that. What are the chances that if this were to happen, though, that you end up with 
a constitutional crisis in that you end up with a bunch of people in the West then who this would be the last straw. And you would end up with an, a, a, a group, a party in the West that probably would have some legs that would say we're going to separate because we clearly at this point now have no say in anything. We even won the election and we didn't win the election. It's rigged against us. I, I worry that we end up with a country that then starts to get into real separatists. Yeah, if you if you think national unity is a problem now, um, I suspect it would be an even bigger problem then. And yes, for sure, a huge issue in the West. But I would also say potentially an issue in Quebec. Um, the Bloc Québécois uh, has the potential, I think, to have a bit of a resurgence in the next election, particularly if they kind of continue aligning with a lot of the same policies that the the CAC in in the at the provincial level has. So if there's a scenario where you know, a lot uh, the, the majority of seats in Quebec are not even held by um, uh, the Liberals, and there's an attempt to uh, form power there. You might have both the West and Quebec um, extremely upset and irate over this, which is why I come back to kind of the, the numbers and the seat counts. If you have a scenario where the Liberals and the NDP have both lost seats and current public opinion kind of suggests that that would be the case, um, or the NDP might might hold, but um, they've they've had a diminishing return with Jagmeet Singh as leader each election that they've faced. Um, I, I think you would have a really tough case to make to Canadians that yes, the, these are the the folks that we want to return to see to see govern. Um, the Conservatives should not really overplay their their hand on it. Although I think when we get to an election, you're going to, especially if they're doing well, you're going to see a lot of the talk about the importance of the majority, like you did under under Harper, but um, you know, I, I do think that you want to be careful about it because, to your point, it is a, a completely a legal thing to do, though perhaps not uh, the right thing to do, at least in the eyes of Canadians who haven't actually been asked to vote on the matter directly. I guess the question really becomes, and, uh, you know, we could ask this the other way around, too. I, this is not just a Liberal or NDP thing. This is for anybody in politics, is how tantalizing is power? Are you willing potentially, and we don't know if this would happen, but are you willing potentially to really stir up a hornet's nest to hold on to power, or do you look at it and go, we'll regroup for the next election and try and win again? Well, and I, I think part of the the answer to that lies in how long Justin Trudeau is actually prime minister, right? I, I could see an attempt at that. When we, when we had this issue in 2008, we weren't talking about a leader uh, of the Liberals who had governed um, for years and years and years. Uh, the Liberal government did, but not, um, but not the prime, uh, the Liberal leader at that time. So, um, Trudeau by that point will be potentially nine, ten years into governing this country. There's a good possibility that maybe he would just be tired. And in my view, he's, um, he's kind of already used the snap election bullet in the chamber, so to speak, uh, in the most recent one, calling an election over nothing in 2021. It resulted in the exact same outcome that we have. Did we just lose Kate? The election, oh, there we are. Uh, bullet. So I'm not sure that, you know. It... No, we're, uh, we're going to have to let Kate go. We're having all kinds of suddenly technical problems. We love having Kate on. We'll have Kate on again. Kate Harrison from Summer Strategies. But it's a, it is a, it is a really interesting scenario to contemplate because right now, if you look at the poll numbers, this is exactly the picture that is painting of what we could be facing. It's exactly the, the picture we could be looking at. And the question would then become, would the Liberals and NDP and maybe Green as well, I don't know, they don't, probably don't need to bring them in, would they consider doing this? And what would it mean and how would it be received? In some parts of the country, in Ontario, it would probably be fine. In BC, it might be okay. In Atlantic Canada, it would probably be okay, but would this create such divisions in the rest of the country that it's not even worth? I don't know. It's a fascinating one. It's a fascinating topic. I'm glad it was brought up. Really interesting one to to, uh, to consider. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. I feel like we should have some oompa-pa music playing here, or maybe some... Uh, some, some yodeling from the Alps, I'm not really sure, because uh, Don Robertson, not mercifully, not wearing lederhosen, has, <laughs> is back from Germany after a European vacation, laden with schnitzel and various beers, I'm guessing. <clears throat> I was given some advice. Day and a half in Germany. 
uh, where uh, Sue's was on business, and then we went to Switzerland for five days. Got some advice from a hockey buddy that played over there. He said, eat and drink whatever they tell you that you should. So I'm pretty good at both. Yeah. So lots of schnitzel. Tried the beer, and I'm not a draft beer guy, but I tried the beer. It was wonderful, mm-hmm. and everything over there is great. And uh, I did discover that we really don't have any old buildings in Canada to speak of. They got stuff that's, there. theirs isn't decades old, it's centuries old, and it's very cool. One observation I take, though, is they have an inordinate amount of bike lanes. Yes. I mean, there's bike lanes all over the place. The only difference between the bike lanes that I saw in Switzerland and the bike lanes I see locally is there were actually people riding bicycles in the bike lanes, and it was busy. It wasn't just the odd random guy. I mean, they're like little highways. So, I mean, I guess it's, it's a good idea if you can get people to, on some bicycles to use them, but they seem to all ride their bicycles in great big long lines out where I live in the sticks, but they could go in their lanes downtown. Yeah, no, it's... Um well, it's a. Li- I mean, I, I don't want to get into the whole bike lane debate here, but it's it's a little trickier when you're riding from Flamborough to come downtown than it is to be riding just through a European city, which tend to be a lot more compressed. Well, I've been downtown Hamilton, and uh, Dundas has lots of bike lanes, and you know. Yeah, but I, how many people are riding in the morning to go to work? Are riding from Flamborough to downtown Hamilton on bike lanes? That's my point. Absolutely none. Whereas in, in European yeah. cities, many people can leave their apartment or their house and they're not far. They're maybe 10 minutes away. And so it's an easy bike ride. It's a, it's a, it's a different geographic thing, but, um. So you're sporting bike lanes. I'm supporting. In bike Europe. Lanes. Oh yeah. In Switzerland. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm all for, I'm all for bike lanes in Europe. Um, you know what? And, and we'll, we can talk about, you know, what we should be doing with them here, but, uh. You know, my, my, I'll tell you my one beef with bike lanes in Hamilton and we can, and again, this is not the topic for today. We can do this another day. Sports. But my, no, my one beef with bike lanes in Hamilton is that in the winter time, I will often see sidewalks with a foot of snow, roads covered in slush and snow and bike lanes scraped down to the concrete when there's not one person with four healthy brain cells who's going to be out riding their bike when it's a blizzard outside, but they've got them, you know, it's like they heated the road underneath. It's like a heated driveway and no one's riding in them. Do the sidewalk first. The bike lane, you know, in the middle of a snowstorm or right after, the bike lane should be about the last thing you clear in order of priority. But that's, you know, again, that's a discussion for another day. Well, I guess they pay more, um gasoline tax so that they it's a it's a priority the bike like our, our cyclists yeah like the province give us a lot of money from the gas tax for roads and construction and maintenance and everything yep. else and our light well used to be our licensing fees that's all gone away now but there's no i mean put some licenses on bikes and have them pay for some of the cost of the conversion i better quit getting in deeper mm. But Germany was, uh, you would go back, Germany, Switzerland, you would do it again? Absolutely. It was, did you learn to yodel? I could yodel before I went, just not well, so I yeah. didn't. <laughs> and only after drinking, a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, it was one. Sue set the whole thing up, and, you know, we were sitting a month before we left, and she said, what do you think about going here? What do you think about going there? And I go, I've never been there. It's all new to me. So I'm sure whatever you pick is wonderful, and she picked the hotels. We went to a place called Zamat in Switzerland, and you can't get there by automobile. You have to take a train. And it's kind of cool, and it's old streets, and it's very, it's lots of stores, lots of expensive stores, and... um, No, Switzerland's not an inexpensive place. No, it's not. And the Matador Mountain, there must have been a million people taking pictures of it. Matterhorn. Matterhorn. Yeah. And then I I got... uh, I should have paid more attention because I'm not a height guy. I don't even like going up on my shop roof, which is one floor, the ladder. We went up, I think it was 7,800 feet in a gondola to the top of a mountain that apparently on a clear day you can see five countries. I didn't go within 20 feet of the edge of the restaurant I was in. 
I mean, I that was a that was an error in judgment. She did a wonderful job I, taking care of all the plants. I have traveled much of the world. I've been I've spent a summer in the middle of the jungle in Papua New Guinea, and been to Korea, and been to the Middle East, and been to Africa, and Europe, which is where everybody goes first, is the one place I've never done. It's it's it is high on the list of uh, things to do one of these days. But um, do it. I will live vicariously for now through you. And <laughs> uh, speaking of Europe. There have been an inordinate number of photos, getting to sports stuff, there's been an inordinate number of photos online this week of athletes from other sports wearing their London Wimbledon finest attending Wimbledon this year. A bunch of PGA Tour guys and a bunch of hockey players and a bunch of other people who are spending their summer making a pilgrimage to Wimbledon to watch. I don't know, there's no special reason that I know. There's no specific thing this year. They've just all gone to Wimbledon. And I, I was wondering about this, like I, Wimbledon is on the list for me, but is there one place that you have always thought one, either one venue or one event? It could be an event as opposed to a venue. Is there one place or one thing in sports that you would put at the top of your list as, man, I've got to get there before I die? No, I don't think so. I mean, Super Bowls are kind of cool, but it'd be too busy for me now. I mean, I, that wouldn't. I mean, in my twenties, it probably would have been a lot of fun, but not now. Um, I don't think there is. I mean, Wimbledon is a destination. I think maybe at this point, um, watching this would be cool. Canadian Open, which won't happen, but a U.S. Open or something at Pebble Beach. Yeah. The, uh, the the thing I've learned about golf tournaments, though, I mean, Pebble Beach is kind of cool. My life is down to very poor golf on a regular basis, is it's hard to watch it. I mean, I watched a little bit of the U.S. Women's Open, and a lot of the greens and everything else, and you've been to Augusta on more than one occasion. It's hard to get a prime spot, and there's no real nice walking pass to get there. I'd break my ankles because I got bad ones, but... That there, would there be are a challenge. Seats, there are seats at Amen Corner. There are bleachers where you can sit there for the day and watch, watch the guys coming in and teeing off and then teeing off again. That that one is a, that one for sure. I'll tell you another place that, like m- one of my places, I would love. There's a bunch of, and I'm not even a U.S. college football super fan, but there's a bunch of stadiums for the experience that I'd like to go just for the. I'd love to go to a game at Clemson for the introduction, mostly for the beginning. I'd love to go to a game at Michigan University. I've never been to a football game at Michigan University in the in the big house. You've been to a hockey game there, I know, an outdoor oh, no, game. I've been to a football game Have there. You? I've been to one NCAA football game in my life, and that was the place. And everybody's saying it's 100,000, 103,000 seats. And you're walking up to it, and it looked like old Iverwind Stadium until you walk in. And it's a, I mean, there's a big bowl. I mean, it was unbelievable how many people were there. The other thing that I found particularly unbelievable is I went up, I said, I'll go get beer. The guy sitting with me says, yeah, that's a great idea. I go up and I said, where's the beer outlet? They said, we don't sell beer at these games. Well, half the kids there were hammered. Yeah. Well, they were a little little pre-drinking before they showed up. I'll tell you what else. If you have not been, anyone who has not been, it's about an eight-hour drive. Got to do it. Before you're done, you got to go to a game at Wrigley Field, a summertime game at Wrigley Field, sitting out in the bleachers. The greatest place to go to a game, period. I, I know Rogers Center has its charms. It ain't Wrigley Field. Susan and I are going there next Thursday night. Are you really? Yeah. We're leaving uh, Wednesday. Are you really? Yeah. We're leaving Wednesday. We're going to drive because we did the math on the timing. <clears throat> Pardon me. We're going to some friends, Gordon Barb, and we're going to drive down, and we're driving down Wednesday morning, and Thursday night we're going to uh, go to Wrigley Field. Last year we went to Fenway Park to watch the Jays. But I might look like Rumpelstiltskin the next time the Jays play at Wrigley Field. And guys like you have told me the historic significance of it. Got to go. So the the, the two things, we're going to bore people to death here, but there's two entrances into (laughs) Wrigley Field. There's a different entrance for the bleachers. So you come in off a different spot to go to the bleacher area, or you come in through the regular part. But if you go through the regular part, like as if you were sitting in the behind hole plate or first or third baseline, the cool thing is you walk up these cement ramps that you realize were the exact same ramps that people walked up back in 19, whatever, the day Babe Ruth called his shot. Or like the history of the place. Is, is that where he amazing. called his shot? In Wrigley Field. Yep. 
Yeah, and now they've got a beauty, beautiful statue of Fergie Jenkins outside and of Harry Carey outside. And you go to Wrigleyville, there's all the pubs around it. And it's, uh, oh, it's an amazing, Wrigley Field is amazing. It's amazing. And the other place that I, now there's a lot of other places people would choose to go. Because uh, I, I mean, like other places that I would really, really love to get to is I would love to go to the Kentucky Derby one time at Churchill Downs. Yep. I'm not even a horse racing guy. Like I can't. I, I no, me know, neither. But I, I go there. I don't know that I've ever watched a horse race live. I, I mean, I've never been to the track. I just not. But I would. I would absolutely go to the Kentucky Derby. Sometimes claimed as the most exciting two minutes in sports. Yep. Uh, Stewie says, Stewie writes in and goes, you got to go to a football game at Notre Dame. Uh, I would agree with that, Stewie. Yeah. That, that would be on my list to do for sure. Um, also, uh, I would love to go to St. Andrews, although it always, to, to watch the, the open, although I must say that every, I'm a warm weather guy. I'm a bit of a wuss. <laughs> and St. Andrews always looks unpleasant, like howling wind and really chilly and not... It's almost like, okay, I, I wouldn't mind just walking across the course and seeing I was here and then watching it on TV where it's warm. Well, but t- TV is the place to watch golf. I mean, there's no... Almost every sport. Question. Yeah. yeah there's not many sport. that... Uh, baseball's not bad, but it's... You, if you Well, they got the big screen. So we were down there, and I'm not a... I mean, I don't go to a lot of these venues, but... Uh, we went down a couple of weeks ago, or a week ago, I guess, to Rogers to Rogers Center to see the renovations. Yeah, and that's all geared to young people. I mean, that's what they're doing. I guess they're not worried about an old fart like me. But you know, there was there's some nice party areas. But boy, the amount of money they spent, I'd want more money. I'd want a bigger bang for my buck than what they got. I mean, you can see that they raised the um, bullpens up so you can, you know. Uh, yeah, but you know what, Swear Don? Guys. I was talking to someone about this the other day, and they said, like, you can get that. I think it's a $20 admission. And I know you're saying they want more bang for their buck for the renovations, but yep. now they've got this 20, I think it's a $20 admission. You don't get a seat, but you can go hang out in the outfield. And I'm thinking anyone who's hanging out there is probably buying five or six beers during the course of a game that go, what, for 15 bucks a beer. You're making more money off the people standing out there than you, you let them buy in, a ticket. You could let them in free. You could. You could, and you'd still make more money than if you... If you sold them a ticket somewhere. Uh, the other place that I would say, honestly, and, and you're going to think I'm nuts for saying this, that you have to go to before you're done is the Lomedy Park, which is in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. It's the home of the Little League World Series. I've been there. It is it, during the tournament? The day it ended and had uh, dinner in the restaurant that overlooks the field. It's it's an ama- it's you would think oh that's that's goofy. It's 12-year-olds playing baseball. You can't believe the setup and how good it it's, looks and the professionalism of it and everything. It's an ama- and it's it costs nothing to get in. Parking is free. Yeah. Uh the like sandwiches it, are It's very cool. It's though. very cool. It's very It's cool. very cool. Makes me wish makes me wish that my son's team had won one more game. A few years ago and got down there. They would have been destroyed. That's when they hosted an Ancaster. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And they missed it by one game. And he said this, I've said to him a couple of times, we went down a couple of years afterwards and then another, a little while later and we're sitting there and I said, you ever think about what would have happened if you'd ever, if you guys had won that last game to get there? He goes, all the time. They would have been completely obliterated. They would have run into Japan or something and the game might still be going on because they couldn't have got out of the first inning. Well, they have mercy rules, don't they? Yeah, but you got to get to four innings. You got to get, you got to get (laughs) to get to four innings. You could be down 4,000 to nothing at this point. We could be importing arms of kids who weren't even born yet to be down there to try and finish the inning. (laughs) But it would have been a lot of fun to go. It it was very cool. It would have been a lot. Anyway. It's like a big theater. Stewie says uh, Notre Dame. Let me know, 905-645-3221. Send us a text. What's the place? We started this by talking about Wimbledon. What's the place that you would absolutely want to go to? Maybe you've been, maybe you haven't been and you want to go, but what's the place that you have to see if you're a sports fan before you're done? You know, it's kind of funny. We talked about, you talk about Wimbledon, right? Yeah. We talked, that, and I mentioned that I'd, I'd gone to Fenway, and now we're going to Wrigley. And you start thinking... First of all, there's no old hockey rinks to go to. Not anymore. Like they're all cookie. Well, Madison Square Garden would be the closest, but it's been redone. Yeah, the the rink's on the third floor, yeah. right? I mean, it's, 
Yeah, it's been redone, but it's not historic. The outside of the building may look like that, but I can't think there like the stadiums other than baseball stadiums. That oh, have, football, football and baseball. Lambeau Field would be. Yeah, Lambeau Field. Yep. Um, Tiger Stadium's gone. Yeah, no, most most everything is gone now. I mean, even Yankee Stadium is no longer Yankee Stadium. No, still call it that, it, but it's not Yankee it's Stadium. Not the, it's not the house nope. that Ruth built. It's the house that Jeter built, really. Um, it, yeah. But it's, no, I, there, there aren't many. That's the thing. There's not, I, I, I've, I have no interest. We went to the uh, <laughs> Indianapolis Motor Speedway one time. My son had a baseball tournament in Indianapolis. And we went and you can pay and you do a lap, not fast. We were in a van that goes about four miles an hour, (laughs) but you get to do a lap of the track and they talk about certain things and everything else. I have no interest in going to a race there, but it was cool to go and to, to see it, to see it. Yeah. Um, well, it's like St. Andrews. It'd be a lot easier just to walk around a few holes you wanted to see. Yeah. Just to say I was there. I was going to say, do you ever notice, like, you're right, the winds are howling and the rain's going sideways (laughs) and they're in. horrendous most of the time. You need a stepladder to get in some of the pot bunkers. (laughs) Nobody ever complains about the weather. Nope. Like, you know, the flagpole's bent almost down sideways. So, okay, so Mackenzie Hughes goes to to the open and goes, you know what, I, I love this tournament, but the weather here sucks. He'd be drummed out, him or anyone else, you'd be run out of England or Scotland or wherever. You'd be run out of the British Isles before you could finish your state. Son, you won't have to worry about that again because you won't be back. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that is, uh, that is absolutely true. But no, let us know, let us know what would be the place that you would absolutely want to go or have been that everyone else really should, because this is, uh, it's, it's, there's a lot of the places, there's a lot of places that, uh. That would be on the list. Bring Don Robertson in here. Now, Don, while you were away, Don, by the way, I didn't introduce Don at the beginning because I was talking so much about him being in Germany. He's the guy from Calm Choice Realty and he runs the Dundas Real McCoys and he's here every Monday except when he's gallivanting around Europe in his very, very swanky red sneakers that he's wearing today. I mean, these are special German walking shoes. I was at the gym before I got here for my annual visit. <laughs> I, Just had I, to tone everything I, up for the summer. I hope summer. at the gym they don't give you the, uh, when you do your annual visit at the gym, I hope there's nothing like the annual visit at the doctor. <laughs> Felt like it today. <laughs> so while you were away, uh, NHL teams had their development camps where a bunch of their draft picks and people that they're giving tryouts to and everything else, uh, they get to skate and practice and everything else. Well, one of the Leafs better prospects, Finnish guy, is in a scrimmage coming across center ice with his head down and a kid who is trying to make the team who doesn't have a contract absolutely destroyed him. Caught him with his head down and knocked him out cold. Just blew him up. And this created all kinds of debate online and everywhere else with people saying either, hey, that's how you show that you really want a job. You play hard all the time. Or are you a moron? That's one of their top prospects. You don't kill the guy. That's not how you get attention from a team. If you're a general manager, which you are, you're a coach and you're having a practice early in the season, you haven't even picked your team yet. And one of your players, one of your better players is goofing around, not goofing around, but is not taking it all that seriously apparently and comes across with his head down and another guy flattens him. Are you impressed with the guy who flattened him or are you saying, what in the world are you doing? I'm a little bit impressed with the guy that flattened him because he's trying to prove a point that he wants to play in a team. I'd be more impressed with one of our more physical guys went over and kicked the crap out of him for doing it. So that's... That would, to me, would be a successful event. And if the guy that hit him did well, then I go, Bernie, we better take another look at this guy. Like he's not scared to hit. He's not scared to stick up for himself and so on. But yeah, it's really, but there's a big difference in the scenario you gave me of one of our premier players and Mark Juris is, is popular. So in Mark Juris's day, if somebody dropped them at center ice, I'd have a little chat with the kid. But that's senior hockey compared to young guys who are trying to make million yeah, dollar contracts. But he may not he may not have known who he was hitting. And this kid Oh, I'm sure he didn't. In all probability probably knew he was a prospect, but says if I'm gonna make this team or I got a shot at making the Marlies or getting a contract, a leaf contract, a two way contract with the Marlies in the East Coast, 
I better go out and hit hit some people because that's what I do. All I do is hit people and play hard. And if you let up on that kid, maybe the coach is sitting there or the GM sitting there going, well, that's not what he does. Yeah, He's why is he to here? Hit people. That's right. I, I I would bet money, which I don't do, but I would bet money that he didn't realize who the guy is. This is not this is not Wayne Gretzky or someone who's got a familiar face that you're knowing. This is the, the guys here might know some of these guys from junior hockey that they've played with. Yep. But by and large, most of these people are going to be mysteries to them. They don't know who. And especially at full speed. He didn't run Nylander over. No, and, and at full speed, you're not going, oh, that's, you know, and again, maybe if it's Connor Bedard, who's the yep. first over, maybe because you've seen his face enough that he's familiar. This guy, you would have no idea. I, I looked at him, how in the world is anyone complaining about this kid doing this? I, I, I Honestly, I thought it was fantastic, especially in a in a team that is always being accused of not having any toughness you want to get noticed well they're the I hear Toronto have a new GM since we've been together mm-hmm. and he talks about having a bit more snot in his team I think was his quote yeah so we've gone from wanting truculence and whatever the other word was that uh, Bruce, Brian Burke wanted to now just snot we just want snot I I mean Look, in allergy season, I can provide a lot of that. Maybe that makes me a gay, uh, maybe I can have a contract. A candidate? <laughs> yeah, a candidate. I can make a team. If all you're looking for is nasal drip, I, I'm, I'm your guy. <laughs> I, think, I think the GM was actually talking about looking for exactly what happened, right? If that kid's going, he, he <laughs> this is going to be a lot of fun throw there. This guy wants not, I'll show it to him. So he hit that kid so hard that probably produced all he needed for about a week. And, uh, but if that's the only way you're going to make the team, that's what you have to do. And the GM wants it. They're not, they don't, they're, they're the Toronto Maple Leafs have been too hard to play or too easy to play against for a number of years. And I've said it and you've heard it anytime you ask. And, uh, so full marks to the kid. Yeah. I, I, I just don't get now. Okay. Let me ask you though, if it was different, let's say it wasn't at development camp. Let's say this was at Maple Leaf training camp. And the guy that you're, you're a young guy who's trying to make the team a big defenseman who's trying to show his toughness or a big winger. And let's say it wasn't no name prospect that this guy's never seen before. Let's say you obliterate Mitch Marner and knock his jaw into the third row. Is the answer different? So remember what I said would happen at a real McCoy practice? Somebody come over and tune him up. There'd be a couple guys lined up to tune him up. So you better expect that. And yes. that's a bit. But would you, but even then, would you be okay with the guy doing it as long as he's willing to stand his ground or do you just not do it when no, you it's a star? You don't do it to your stars. You, maybe if you want to take a, a run at Wayne Simmons or something like that to prove yourself that you're not scared, but you start running over superstars and trying to hurt them, you're going to get a ticket to, uh, I don't know where. Well, you'll be. Playing where those shoes walked that you're wearing. Yeah, you'll be you're playing in Switzerland. In, in Switzerland or Europe or somewhere. But uh, no, it's a, it's an interesting one because it created such an interesting discussion about what's the appropriate thing and what's the the unwritten rules. And I don't know that there is one. I don't know there is one because I bet you I can uh, more than bet you. I'm sure there are guys playing professional hockey right now, either in the NHL or some other level, but getting paid who weren't going to get paid. And that's how they made their mark. That's how they got noticed the first time by just blasting somebody. Yep. And someone said, oh, at least I noticed the guy. He stood out. Yep. Well, if that's what, like I said, if that's what you do, if you're there because you're a physical player, you better play physical. Don't like if you're a physical guy and what you're famous for is your hard work, you're responsible in your own end, you play a good 200 foot game and you run people over. Don't go to camp and start toe dragging, run somebody over. Is this uniquely a hockey thing? So, I, so let's go say I would say cat. football. Well, okay, but it, uh, let's say it's Ticats training camp and you're a guy who's trying to make your mark. Do you wipe out guys because you're there to be physical? If you're a new guy and you're renowned, you've been drafted because you're such a hard-hitting middle linebacker, do you, but you're not sure you're going to have a spot, do you f- flatten guys in training camp because that's what you're there for? Or do you line the guy up and pull up at the last second and then wink to the coach and go, I could have killed him? I think Ben Zambiazzi ran guys over. I'm sure he did. At camp or wherever, just to make the team and make a living. Yeah. Well, no, I, I, I don't, I don't, uh, I mean, I don't, I can't imagine, well, baseball doesn't practice the same way these guys do. You don't have 
pitchers generally, except in training, well, I guess in training, in, in spring training, they'll throw live batting practice, but you never see a pitcher go up and in on someone. Well, they're not brushing guys off. No, that's plate. what I mean. You're yeah. not doing that. So baseball doesn't really have that. Basketball, I mean, you could in basketball, you could have a hard foul in, with a guy going to the net. Uh, you, you rarely hear about it. But again, if that's what you do, I'll bet Dennis Rodman was mean at well, camp. Yeah, I'm sure he... Elbows up. Yeah, it, it's such an interesting one that I, I we'll see if this guy will, I mean, we'll know soon enough. We'll know soon enough if this lends, lands this guy another look or if he ends up in, well, if, if you he, know, somewhere where they don't even have phones. If he wasn't there for the second skate, you know what happened. Oh, he was back. He was back, but it was, but it was near the end of camp. And so, as I say, we'll see where he ends up this, uh, we'll see where he ends up this year, if he ends up anywhere at all. Mm. You know, if, if he's on the Leafs f- Siberian farm team, you'll, you'll understand what they thought of it. He could probably play in Dundas. <laughs> there you go. Frank writes in and goes, you, you know, you have to get tickets. You have to get on a lottery list for Wimbledon. I did know that. I did know. And you also for the Masters, you have to get on a lottery list. You can't just go online and buy them. And if anyone wins them, they know who they are in each one. If Don, if you won and then sold them, you'd be banned for life from ever applying again. They are... Yep. Serious about that? I do. No, I, they. I'm sure they have season tickets and box tickets. They sell. To oh no, they do. They, yeah. Well, y- y- they the, have people who are members and and others who can yeah. get in. But and uh, you said um, Ben was just talking beforehand. Um, ben was saying about somebody D- Dimitrison called in. Where did he want to go see? Uh, he wants to see before. They switch over to electric. The 24 hours of Le Mans. The 24 hours of Le Mans. And the All other right. one is to go and see the Isle of Man time trial. The Isle of Man. Okay, incredible. I don't know. Don't know much about that one. I will say that, uh, Don, the one sport that I would never bother with going to see live <laughs> would be, well, two of them. It's either the Paris to Dakar race or the Tour de France because you're you set up all day to get yeah. a spot and then just... Oh, they're by. Okay, go home. Let's go home. That's it. That was a great six hours. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that to me doesn't seem like it's a great use of time. I'll, I'll watch the Tour de France on TV if I'm going to watch it. Uh, having a bunch of bikes ro- race by me and not even be able to see them. I've seen highlights on TV. That's not a whole lot more exciting than watching them go zoom by. Until I, the, until they wipe out. Those things are always fun. <laughs> any sport. Yes. Any sport. It doesn't matter what. Any sport, the wipeouts are uh, are always exciting. <laughs> Um, you're a hockey guy. You're a guy who's made moves and trades and everything. There's a really interesting debate right now because the Maple Leafs have William Nylander, who's not signed. They have other guys too, but wants a lot of money. And there's a lot of people saying, you know what they really need is a big, sturdy, rugged defense. You should trade William Nylander for a big, tough defenseman. And then the other side says, you never, ever trade that kind of skill because that's really hard to find. Never trade skill for ruggedness because you can find rugged guys a whole lot easier and they don't always pan out. Would you ever trade a really high-skilled guy for a really tough stay-at-home defenseman? If I could trade William Nylander for um, Chris Pronger I knew you were going to say that name. That name popped in my head. I knew that was coming. I would do it in a heartbeat. So but let, that's let, not, that let, not guy's not there. I mean, yeah, I, I would. Ask me if I would. No, no, I, and, and on that guy, I mean, if you're talking about a Hall of Famer, sure. I'm talking about your, so valid point, all right? If Chris Pronger was there or if Al McInnes or if, you know, if a Hall of Fame guy yeah. was there. But I'm talking about just a good, solid, stay at home, look after your own end, clear the front of the net defenseman. Not flashy, not going to the Hall of Fame, but kind of what you need. Would you do that? Well, Here's how I'm going to frame the answer, because uh, I've been away and had lots of time to think about <laughs> silly things, in case you ask me something. Um, who did the Vegas Golden Knights have on their team that is like Willie Nylander? A bunch. Well, a few. Eichel. Eichel's a big man. He plays hard. Eichel has a great 200-foot game. All right. And he hits. He- like. Yeah, he d- no, he does, and there's not a lot of, you're right, there's not a lot of hitting in, in Nylander's game. Well, there's none. And so my well, point- sometimes he's run into someone accidentally. His own his guy. <laughs> so um, when you look at it, and you look back at recent Stanley Cups, 
and you say, how many of those guys are there on the team, if any, that play the role that Nylander does? Nylander is very, ex- very exciting, and he has skill coming out as yin-yang. Like, he can do things with that puck that few people on the planet can do. But in the Stanley Cup playoffs, which is where it all happens and when it really matters, and Treliving will will strive for that because he knows it's the playoffs in Toronto that are important. It's not getting there. It's seeing what you can do when you arrive at the dance, and you need every single guy you can get that can do that because, first of all, in the Stanley Cup playoffs, if you think you had half an inch to work with in the playoffs, you have less. Mm-hmm. Or in the regular season, you have less in the playoffs. So he's going to get a, the, the odd point here and there. But I'll tell you, if you had um, Mark Stone or I'd trade Eichel for him in a heartbeat. And here's the challenge when you ask the question, and I had to go back to Pronger. There are very few defensemen like that in the National Hockey League, and there isn't a general manager around that's going to get rid of one for a skilled, talented forward unless he's got four other stud defensemen, and that trade doesn't exist. Right, and, and so, yeah, I mean, if you could trade uh, if you could trade Nylander today for, say, uh, Victor Hedman on Tampa. Yep. Sure, I would do that. Yep. But as you say, there's probably five of those guys in the league. 32 teams, five guys. Maybe maybe 10, but I don't even know if there's 10. And probably five A's and probably five A minuses. And so they're not every team doesn't have one. No, and everybody wants one. Yeah. Everybody wants one. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I just, I, I would always be worried if I was the GM that you trade a guy and he turns around and then puts up 120 points the next year, and you look like a buffoon. So you could, you, Willie Nylander would be far more effective on the Toronto Maple Leafs if he was the only one that played that way. Hmm. So if you had Matthew Kachuk there, uh, and you had Mark Stone there, and you had some of the really high-end physical all-round forwards there, and you had somebody that was just played the game a little softer, that'd be one thing. But you have Nylander or Marner. Marner's, like people say, Marner's not big enough. I saw Doug Gilmore two weeks ago. He's as big as Doug Gilmore. They call Doug Gilmore killer. Like, you can play that way if you've got the jam to do it. But the Leafs have got too many guys of their core four that don't hit. I'd like to see the stats on how many hits were thrown by the core four last year during the regular season and, and the league average. So they have an inordinate amount of them. That's why somebody has to be dispens- or dispensable, I think. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.